Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 47 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host at Greg Sauce on Twitter. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. And if you haven't already, you got to check out our 2QBs 2017 draft guide for 2QB and Superflex leagues. Don't wait too long before getting your copy because the draft guide is huge. You're going to need plenty of time before your draft to study up on all the stuff we got in here. And despite the large number of pages, we have 170 different pages, P.S., we have made the guide very easy to navigate. It has a clickable table of contents, so you can jump around to the content you you want to read very quickly. Uh, This is the ultimate guide for two-quarterback formats, rankings, projections, quarterback profiles, and 14 in-depth articles on everything from QB production floors to late-round QB targets. I've been running a contest the past couple weeks to give away a free copy of the guide, and our winner is Eric O. Uh, I'm going to get to Eric offline to uh, get him his copy, but what he did was he rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes, sent us a screenshot of his review to be entered in to win. Uh, So starting today, I'm going to run the contest again. If you want a free copy of the 2QB's 2017 Draft Guide, uh, screenshot your rating and review of this podcast, send it to us on Twitter at 2QB's, or by email at 2QB's at gmail.com, uh, and in both cases you spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S, and I'll announce the next winner in two episodes, uh, the week of August 14th. If you want to cut to the chase, purchase a copy of the guide sooner, just go to 2QB's.com and use the promo code 2QBXP, and that's uh, the numeral 2 and then the letters QBXP. We had a 12-team Superflex mock draft in the guide, and one of the drafters is our guest today. I've been going through a lot of the, the folks from that mock, Mike. Uh, this is Mike Taglier at Mike Taglier NFL on Twitter. Uh, he, you can find his work at Fantasy Pros. Mike, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk football, it's providing we have the time, you know. And as we were talking before the show, I have a six-month-old, so time is... Uh, it's something I don't come across very often, but when I do, I, I like to spend it talking football. Yeah, man, it's our most precious resource in life altogether. That's all That's all we have, really, when it comes down to it is time. So I really appreciate you taking it uh, out of your day today to, to talk with me, uh, specifically about two-quarterback football. I know that this is something that, that you're interested in. I, I went on the Fantasy Pros podcast with you and Bobby Sylvester a while back, and we, we chatted about it. But um, I kind of want to dive into some news from around the NFL some of this is a little old because, you know, podcasting schedules are fickle, um, but they do apply to two-quarterback formats, and I want to jump right into it. Let's start with Andrew Luck. He started camp on the pup list, and so I'm, I'm curious as to how you're adjusting your rankings of him, if at all. I haven't done much with Andrew Luck, to be honest with you, and I, I talked about it earlier today on our own podcast, is that, you know, Andrew Luck, he, he's very close when it, when it comes close to the chest when it comes to releasing any information about what's going on with him. I mean, obviously... He played through last season with a shoulder injury that required surgery. He's saying that, you know, the, the big news here is that he came out and said, he's like, you know, I'm not just, I'm not going to guarantee anything. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to be out there for week one. I just, I'm going to take it one day at a time. And it's the right thing to say as a quarterback. You're not, you don't want to rush it because he understands that there's a big picture involved. With that being said, the Colts have said that they're not concerned about luck. I'm not concerned about him. You know, he was a guy that played 15 games last year and still managed somehow with a bum shoulder and still managed somehow to finish as the number four fantasy quarterback. He's he's gotten better. I think a lot of people have underrated Luck recently because some people have said, you know, he hasn't lived up to his draft stock. And people were saying that he was the number one dynasty quarterback. And so many people were saying that he's never lived up to it. I just, my argument is that he's never had a healthy wide receiver core. He's never had one like he has now. And his offensive line is finally starting to come together somewhat. So for him, there's so many positives around him. You know, he's got a bad defense. It's similar to Aaron Rodgers last year, right? Is Rodgers is someone that we were never seeing throw the ball 
more than 580 times a year. And we saw what happened when he threw at 620. Andrew Luck, we've seen that from multiple times. And he's someone that if he can be 90% as efficient as Aaron Rodgers, he could be the number one fantasy quarterback. So for me, I took him last night in a fantasy pros versus Joe's draft. I got him in the eighth round. So I'm obviously, I usually wait at quarterback, but seeing him fall to the seventh or eighth round, I think then you're getting plenty of value for a quarterback that could arguably be taken as the number one or number two quarterback off boards next year. Yeah, I did a deep uh, Superflex auction last night with Scott Pianowski and some of you know his buddies. 15-team Superflex, so super deep. And Luck only went for $17 as the 31st player bought. So it was pretty early on, but people were so gun-shy. And after the winning bid, the chat you know in the draft kind of exploded with a lot of owners just lamenting the fact that they didn't up the auction one more dollar. It really felt like a steal at the time. And these are the kind of values you can seek out when there are these injury concerns around players. It's not always a negative, right? I had luck at QB2, but, I mean, just based upon this, I did bump in behind, um, you know, Breeze, Brady, and Wilson, if only because we have a better picture of those guys' availability. Um, and they all had a case to be ranked ahead of luck in the first place. So, yeah, I think that this is something where we just simply don't have enough information. And while that's frustrating, I think that makes luck more of a target. Like you got him in your draft and like this other person bought him in that auction. If you can get him at less value than guys like Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, or anyone else in that second tier, I think that's worth it. Because even if he's not ready for week one, he's going to be back very soon after that, I imagine. And there are no bye weeks to worry about early in the season. So your QB2 and your QB3 can kind of hold the fort for you while Luck gets into game shape. I just see this as a really nice opportunity to buy him. Let's move to another uh, injured quarterback, and that's Joe Flacco. What do you feel about his injury? Because the latest reports are making it seem a little more minor than initially indicated. I'm just not sure we can trust those just based upon how NFL news works. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that Ryan Mallett is the answer for them at quarterback. So here's to hoping Colin Kaepernick finally gets a job. But h- what are you doing with Joe Flacco? Is it still too early on him to tell as well? So Joe Flacco is someone similar to Mike Williams is that I can talk from past experience in regards to these injuries because I had multiple back injuries. I've had fractured vertebrae. I've had bulging discs. I've had herniated discs. I've, I've had a fusion on my back. So I've gone through all these injuries. So to hear that Joe Flacco went and got, either talking about getting an epidural and he's getting an injection. Some people have said that's automatically means he has a herniated disc. It doesn't mean that. It could be a bulging disc that they're just trying to give him some relief. And so I'm not going to go off the deep end here, but Joe Flacco, in reality, was not someone I was necessarily targeting in fantasy drafts. I mean, at this point in Joe Flacco's career, it seems like every year someone wants to anoint Joe Flacco as the breakout <laughs> candidate. It, yeah, it kind of felt year. like, yeah, it was like Jay Cutler. We were waiting for Jay Cutler to come around, and now Joe Flacco. But truth be told, Joe Flacco hasn't been really good since 2012. Uh, you know, from the start of his career to 2012, he was a guy that threw – uh, a touchdown every 1.82 pass attempts, or at one, uh, t- 1.82 touchdowns to every interception. Since that time, it's been 1.3 touchdowns for every interception. It's it's a much different ratio. Teams have caught up with him three of the last four years. He's been under 6.8 yards per attempt, which is not very good when you're considered a franchise-type quarterback. So for me, with Joe Flacco, he's a guy that led, basically led the league in pass attempts last year than the Ravens did the prior year, and you know, it's just, it's not happening for Joe Flacco. So I was avoiding him to begin with. And, and this, in, this injury doesn't make me feel, you know, any better about him, obviously. 
yeah, I've long been a detractor of Flacco's myself. Like you said, the, the volume that he had last year compared to the actual production, and I know that his receivers weren't great, but you can just see that he's just not that good when he plays. He, he Yeah, anyway. Um, how about the Cardell Jones trade to uh, the Chargers? I think this changes... Obviously, it changes the handcuff scenario for Philip Rivers, but Rivers has played a full 16 games each of the past five seasons. I think the story is a little bit more interesting about what it says about Buffalo's plan. So w- with that in mind, does Nathan Peterman correspondingly gain value for you in Buffalo? Or do we perhaps need to consider TJ Yates as a handcuff to Tyrod Taylor? I mean, we know that the Bills aren't in love with Taylor. How did this trade affect you know your views for either team? Well, that's hard to say with Taylor, though. So here's the thing. Like, we have to remember that the regime that, that benched Tyrod Taylor in Week 17 last year is no longer in place. The GM's gone. The head coach is gone. I don't even know if Rex Ryan had any say in kind of what happened in that Week 17 game. But that, that regime is gone. You know, we don't know if this one likes Tyrod Taylor. The fact that they drafted Nathan Peterman, that was also with the old GM. Like, that guy was the GM when they drafted this team. So I really have no idea. It's, it's tough for anyone to tell you that they have a handle on what Buffalo's doing. You know, they let Sammy Watkins, a franchise wide receiver, go and he's going to hit he's gonna be an unrestricted free agent, it seems like, or they're gonna pay a lot of money to franchise tag him. So I don't know what's going on with Buffalo. I'm not gonna pretend that I do know what's going on there because Tyrod Taylor has done nothing but put up points on the board. You know, they finished as a, a top thirteen offense last year in terms of scoring, and part of it has to do with him. He's someone that continues to be underrated. I can go on a long tangent about Tyrod Taylor and why you know, it's insane the value that you get when you draft him in fantasy football this year. Uh, but in terms of Peterman, I, I, it's not someone that I would draft. I mean, I know this is in terms of two quarterback leagues. But, again, I would much rather grab someone like Brian Hoyer. If you want to go really cheap, I would wait. I would even take Mike Glennon. Some people seem to think that uh, Mitch Trubisky is going to start this year. It's not happening, guys. Like, Ryan Pace has been all over this since day one. I've been following it because I think it's very, very uh, important that Mitch Trubisky does not play a single snap in 2017. And that, and I'm a Mitch Trubisky supporter. Like, I think the kid can be really good, but at the same time, I do not think he should play. And I think that Ryan Pace is on the same page as I am. So uh, Mike Glennon is someone I would much rather have. Like, I, he's he's a waiver wire quarterback, Peterman. And honestly, I, it could be TJ Yates. Maybe they don't want to throw a rookie into the fire if Tyrod were to get hurt. But I think that the only way that Buffalo benches, the, the only way that Tyrod Taylor is not the starting quarterback for the Bills this year is if he's injured. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir with Tyrod Taylor here at two QBs. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about him more later. Sigmund Bloom and I talked about Peterman versus Cardell Jones uh, on episode 41. But Buffalo just made this much clearer for us. You know, we know that, you know, either Yates or Peterman is the backup there. And you're right. They're, they're both waiver wire guys. Even Cardell is like that. Um, it's mm-hmm. not that you would draft these guys, but you need to be mindful of them because if th- it's more if, if the starter gets hurt. Uh, you right. need to be ready to pick up those guys at a moment's notice uh, into quarterback formats. I want to shift gears to uh, running back next, and I want to highlight a guy that you wrote a, a player profile on at Fantasy Pros. Well, you actually wrote it about three different players, um, Kenneth Dixon, Terrence West, and Danny Woodhead. Dixon sounds like he's going to be out for most, if not all, the the season in 2017. So can you update us on where you're at with Terrence West versus Danny Woodhead? Yeah, so I'm not a real big Terrence West fan. Uh, you know, last year, people tend to miss that he's been on three NFL teams in three years. Some people missed the whole Tennessee or the, the Tennessee stint, and then he went or the, he went from Cleveland to Tennessee and then to Baltimore. So, you know, when you're a so 
you know, what, what some people are considering a foundation back. I don't think tenure passed along from team to team. And I also don't think that the Ravens would have talked up Kenneth Dixon this offseason as much as they did if, if they were prepared to go forward with Terrence West as a starter. With that being said, he's the only guy on the roster right now that you could picture for that work. I don't think Baltimore is done. I don't think that they're done adding. I, I know they added that. It was Bobby Rainey, and he's not someone that's going to make me update my projections at all. Uh, Lorenzo Taliaferro, he's not going to move the needle for me at all. So I think that Philadelphia, if they do in fact cut Ryan Matthews, which is what a lot of people have kind of said in terms of, I don't know if it's just waiting for his injury settlement to come through. I don't know why they're waiting. So I thought that they would have cut him by now, but at the same time, LeGarrette Blunt said he doesn't know what his role is on that team. So if Ryan Matthews is cut, I think that he makes a logical replacement there because they can split time. They don't need to rely on Ryan Matthews solely as the foundation running back there. They can split time. But with that being said, if Terrence West is, in fact, the only running back on that roster who is capable of handling that, I think you should view him in that Frank Gore territory where he's not a running back that's going to win you very many weeks, but he's also not the one that's going to lose you. Because if you get a guy on your team that's you know locked into 15 touches per week, he's automatically flex-worthy. So uh, Terrence West definitely falls into that category. And going back to talking about Joe Flacco, if for some reason he's hurt and they bring in Colin Kaepernick, I actually would consider the value of Terrence West going up because when you when you work with a mobile quarterback, it automatically increases your production as a running back just because there's a dual threat. Defenses can't look at you the same way. So there's a lot going on in Baltimore, and I, I like I said, I just don't think that they're done. Yeah, it's a fascinating case. And if Kaepernick were to you know sign there, I think that that would correspondingly bring Danny Woodhead's value down because a lot yes. of that value of receiving out of the backfield gets kind of nerfed by the fact that Kaepernick will be scrambling around, not necessarily looking to throw it on those short, you know, kind of safety patterns, but more looking to, to scramble and pick up first downs and yardage that way. And looking at these two guys, it's really important to distinguish between PPR and non-PPR. I mean, we already should have had Woodhead pretty high in our rankings for PPR formats. It, it only goes up now, right? Um, I have him at running back 31 and Sanders scoring running back 21 in PPR. Uh, I think that you're really smart to, you know, note that we need to manage our expectations for West. He was cut by, you know, the Browns and the Titans, two teams that, you know, before that weren't really all that set at running back. Um, the Ravens passed more than any other team over the last two seasons, like we talked about with Flacco. And while, you know, West did look good at the beginning of 2016, he did tail off as Kenneth Dixon got healthier and more in tune with the Ravens scheme. Matthews is interesting to me. I think that his health is always going to be a concern at this point, but he's looked good when given opportunities the past couple of years. I imagine the Ravens would still platoon him with the other guys there, though, if they signed him. So I don't know if Baltimore is really the ideal landing spot for Matthews. I'd probably rather see him go somewhere where his role would be a little bit more, a little bit less nebulous, like uh, where we could put a pin on it a little more easily, like Washington or either New York team or even like, Pittsburgh, like if he went to the Steelers and was the clear handcuff, you know, ahead of James Conner, like that would be really interesting to me. But uh, yeah, I just, even in Baltimore, I don't know if I'd get too excited just because West and Woodhead will still be there. Yeah, yeah, think about it this way. Like the, the Ravens have ranked bottom five in running back rushing attempts over the last two years. And each of the last two years, last year, they were number three. And when you're seeing that few of carries as a team, it's rough to get excited about anybody. And on top of that, if you're talking about an offense that's probably going to be in the bottom eight in terms of points per game. They just don't have – I talked about this too and the fact that they really don't have a red zone threat outside of Jeremy Macklin. You know, 
Rashad Perriman's not that guy. Mike Wallace is not that guy. They don't have a tight end on their roster right now. I mean, Ben Watson, I don't think you're going to count on 50-year-old Ben Watson to do much of anything. Uh, Danny Woodhead, he's going to be fine out of the backfield. As you talked about in PPR, he's a arguably, I'd say, a top 24 running back, where it's standard. He's more in that flex territory. Uh, but, yeah, it's tough to get excited about anybody in this Baltimore team, especially considering, you know, if they do go to Kaepernick, I, I don't know. I, I, if it goes to Kaepernick, Terrence West gets some more value. Danny Woodhead loses some. If Joe Flacco's playing, Terrence West obviously remains the same, and Danny Woodhead's going to catch a ton of passes out of necessity. Not, not because he, he's that great, because I don't even think we know who Danny Woodhead is anymore. You know, he's had he's suffered two bottom like lower body injuries and a broken fibula, and I can't remember what the other one was right now. I can't. It was in a broken ankle or an ACL. An ACL. It's like these are two big injuries for a guy that's, you know, 31, 32 years old to come back from. I don't even know if we know that Danny Woodhead is the same guy. Now, if there's any guy that could be that guy, I guess it is Danny Woodhead. He's small. He doesn't take a lot of hits. I get that. But at the same time, we don't know a lot of things about this team. And it, it feels like it did last year. If you recall last year, we were having the same exact conversation, Greg. We didn't know which Ravens running back. It was kind of fixing. We also had the conversation – about why am I forgetting his name right now? On the Justin Forsett. Oh, my no, God. Buck, Buck Allen, too. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> we were talking about all these guys, and nobody knew. And, and like, as it went into the year, Terrence West, he had a couple games. But then after that, it went into a timeshare, and you couldn't predict anything. So for me, I think Danny Woodhead is the only one I'd really want to own in PPR. And even then, I'm a little hesitant. Yeah, it's this is where uncertainty can either be you know a curse or a potential spot for value right if if one of these guys does come out and become more of a feature back or yeah you could really talk yourself you could tell yourself a story where one of these guys is super valuable in during the season but there's so much gray area in between their ranges of outcomes that it it makes it fascinating to try to rank these players and we're just going to have to pay attention moving forward uh to try to figure the situation out i want to talk more about just general rankings methodology and compare some differences we have in our own rankings. Uh, before we do that, though, I got to get to an ad. This is our sponsor for the episode. Once again, it is Play Draft. And I want to try to tie this into a problem I've always run into in my preseason prep, and that's mock drafting. Let's be honest. Whether it's too many auto pick drafters or actual drafters making ridiculous picks, online mock drafts are rarely useful or fulfilling. That's why I'm using the best ball leagues on Play Draft as my new way to practice drafting. These are season-long leagues, but with no in-season management, and the drafts are snake fashion, just like you would use in your home leagues. The pick timers are short, and the whole thing wraps up quickly, so you can move on to other stuff in your life, like your next fantasy draft. If a snappy pace isn't important to you, PlayDraft also has slow drafts, so you can play in a variety of ways. Once you're done drafting, PlayDraft system takes care of the hard work. You don't need to set your lineups because your best score gets automatically selected every week. What makes these so much more useful than mocks is that you're playing for real money. Leagues start at just 3 bucks, so you can find a way to enjoy play draft on pretty much any budget. And because they're real stakes, the drafts play out way more realistically, giving you valuable input to apply to your positional rankings and draft strategies for other seasonal leagues, like your home leagues. Even if you play in our preferred formats, 2QB or Superflex, these drafts are still useful, even though they're 1QB. Because they use the best ball format, that makes drafting QB2s a requirement. So when you and your opponents are drafting 2-3 to quarterbacks each, you start to get a good feel for the value drop-offs and quarterback ADP, and that feel for tiers is crucial in terms of understanding how and when to attack runs at the QB position that are definitely going to come up in your two QB leagues. If you played in one before, you know they happen, and you know practicing in this way is a great way to get a better feel for when quarterbacks are going to go and how they're going to stack up together. 
You can draft anytime you want on your web browser or using the PlayDraft app. Leagues start every couple minutes, so you can start drafting right after you sign up. So here's how you get started. You go to PlayDraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B, and you can join your first game in minutes. Here's the best part. For limited time only, all new players get free entry into a best ball draft with their first deposit. But you have to use the promo code for this podcast, T-W-O-Q-B. That's PlayDraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B and the promo code T-W-O-Q-B to get your first best ball draft for free, and you'll never have to sit through another half-hearted online mock again. All right, so with that said, let's move on to rankings. Uh, Methodology, comparing some players that we have ranked differently. uh, It's a 2QB site, as usual, so we'll start with uh, the quarterback position. I want to talk about Marcus Mariota. You're a little lower than him than I am. Uh, QB 10 for you, QB 7 for me. At the top of the rankings, even a small difference like this could determine whether or not somebody drafts him, but we're pretty close. My question to you is... Do you have concerns? Is that why you're a little bit lower on him? Like, what worries you about Mariota, if anything? Or is your ranking more indicative of just the great depth at quarterback in fantasy? Uh, my worry for him, it comes down to volume. And it's strictly volume because he's someone that before, like, we we, we knew that he wasn't going to be throwing the ball a ton. He wasn't going to be throwing the ball 40 times a game like someone like Andrew Luck. They had an excellent run game. That hasn't changed. The run game is still phenomenal. In fact, I'd say that Derrick Henry is going to catch more steam, and I think he's going to be even better in 2017 with that being said the titans have openly said we were going to go out we were going to spend equity we were willing to do that in order to get marcus mariota some weapons that's why i projected when i did my mock drafts before the nfl draft that i put Corey davis to the titans i didn't think they'd take him at number five overall but as it turns out it's really good that they did uh Corey davis is somebody who reminds me so much of brandon marshall it's ridiculous like when watching him the comp there is it's phenomenal you know getting eric decker in there on a one-year deal uh, Taewon Taylor is someone that I liked coming in to the NFL, but it may take some time. I love everything going on with Marcus Mariota, but the fact of the matter is there are limitations in this offense as to what he can do. Do I think he's going to throw for 35 touchdowns? No, I don't. Uh, I do think he's going to throw a little bit more because I heard they're going to go three wide a lot more often, and that's that's fine. And I have bumped up his past attempts in my projections, but at the same time, it's hard finding me projecting him for anything more than maybe 30 touchdowns. And we're, we have to regress his rushing totals, right? Yeah. Uh, for his first, the first two years of his career, he's posted numbers over that over a 16-game span would would equivalent to right around 400 yards and three rushing touchdowns, roughly. So with Marcus Mariota, I don't think that we see him run for more than 200 yards. I think we might see one or two rushing touchdowns for an entire season, and that that caps his ceiling for me on top of volume concerns. Whereas someone like Tyrod Taylor. He's going to have volume limitations for sure, but at the same time, he's going to rush for 500 yards and he's going to score, you know, anywhere from four to six rushing touchdowns. So that's why for me, I would much, much, much rather wait. Uh, I, I find, in fact, I find myself not drafting any quarterback in that range. Like, and I agree with you, they're, they're, it's similar between Mariota and Taylor, but why draft Mariota where he's going as the, you know, I think, the eighth quarterback off the board now, or you can get Tyrod Taylor as the 16th quarterback off the board or 17th or wherever he's going right now. It just seems to me that it's the offense and not so much about Mariota, the quarterback himself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm also a person who likes to wait at the position, even in two quarterback leagues. I The thing with Mariota that has me still ranking him that highly is just we know how efficient he is. He's not just on the ground, but as a passer, he's been very good in his limited time in the NFL. You have to imagine he's going to get better, and you look at the supporting cast and how it's 
improved this season. You know, they still have Delaney Walker, Rashard Matthews, and Marco Murray. Like you said, Derrick Henry is one year deeper into his NFL career. They drafted Corey Davis, brought in Eric Decker. I just, I don't know if I buy into that notion that they're going to skew super run heavy again, because this offense really seems like it's set to explode. And Mariota is, is the, the fuse. He's the ignition switch. that's going to set it off. I, I just, I think that maybe despite what they're saying, we could see more passing. Like you said, not only because they're running more three wide, but just because that's what they're going to need to do to compete at the next level. I think that division is ripe for the taking. And if Mariota can stay on the field, uh, I think that this team has a really good shot to be competitive and perhaps win that division. It, it is an interesting contrast to Tyrod Taylor. We have him flip-flopped in our rankings. I think uh, QB7 versus QB9 on Taylor. It's not exact, but it's it's about the same. We're both higher than ADP on Tyrod, so we're likely to draft him more often than other people who are you know in our drafts with us. But would you really draft him ahead of Mariota and other second-tier quarterbacks? I mean, because you have him ranked that way. Right, and if it forced to make that decision right then and there, yes, I would. But at the same time, it's not a decision I have to make in drafts just because they're not even going anywhere close to each other. So here, here's my question to you. So I always try and envision different scenarios. I try and put myself in the spot to say, okay, why can I, how can I be wrong in Mariota? Like, what am I looking at differently than someone else like you is, right? So here's my question to you. If you have a bad defense, a bad secondary is what I would say, because the front seven is really good. But if you have a bad secondary, and, and overall, you're not going to beat teams with your defense. What is the best way to beat those other teams? You're going to try and keep them off the field with your run game. Tennessee happens to have the offense, the offensive line to do that. Whereas, you know, other teams that, that you know, maybe get some of these weapons, like Jameis Winston, for example. This is a great one, actually. Because Jameis Winston and the Bucks don't have a great offensive line up front. They may not be able to run the ball effectively, and they may need to lean on that pass. The Titans do not want to get into a shootout with an opposing team. They don't want to get into a shootout with Andrew Luck. The best way to, keep the, to win that game is to keep them off the field. And when you have an offensive line, which is a top-five offensive line in the NFL, especially when it comes to run blocking, I, you have to utilize that. And it's the whole exotic smash mouth, and I'm using my air, <laughs> my air quotes there. But, you know, they, they really did it last year. And the fact of the matter is, I still think that there's more that can be seen out of this. I think Derrick Henry is the tip of the iceberg. I think that every time I watch him, I tell people, when I watch him, when I see the tape of him, he just, it looks like it's sped up. It looks like the tape is moving much faster than it should for a guy of that size. Uh, and that's why I think Derrick Henry and, him, and DeMarco Murray start sharing a little bit more carries this year. But, do you see where I'm going with this and the fact oh, that totally, yeah. if you have this defense that you're trying to hide to mass in, in a way, I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and man, I love. I just, first of all, I just love that we're still talking about exotic Smash Mouth a year later. Yes. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike, for bringing that up. I, I had almost uh -oh. forgotten. Um, but but yeah, no, you're right. And and this is what we saw with Dallas last year. This is but this is why Dak Prescott was able to be so successful because they were so dominant with the run that every time he did go to pass, it was almost like the defense wasn't ready for it. And while I think that that means that, you know, Dak is due for, for some regression in his own right, I think that that also means that Mariota is going to see some similar opportunities based upon the space that that excellent running game creates. And, and I think that the lack of volume can be made up for by efficiency. And that's why I'm ranked as high as I do, because I'd rather bet on the best players or the players I think that are the best, yeah. even if their volume is a little bit less than, you know, other players at the same position. But, I mean, again, we're splitting hairs, and we're probably not drafting these guys at their ADPs anyway, so 
anyway, it's just a huge problem with rankings in general, right? You can you can try to prop up the ones you think are better. You can try to hide the ones you don't like, but they have to land somewhere. And it's all going to be about the value in your draft when you're at each pick, right? If if you need a quarterback, you're going to look at how many quarterbacks are available, and you're going to say, oh well, I could take Mariota here. Or I could wait three rounds and still get Philip Rivers or Andy Dalton or whoever else or Tyrod Taylor. Uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, probably my most absurdly low ranking is Marshawn Lynch. Um, I have him like outside of my top forty at, at running back, and I could rank wow. him twenty spots higher, but I still wouldn't get him just because his ADP is in the top fifteen of the position. Right? People love him for his past performance, and I think also because he does ridiculous interviews which are admittedly amazing but like that shouldn't impact how we draft him i just i don't see that guy coming back after a year off to you know a team that has other running backs on the roster that are kind of ascending uh, anyway i don't want to get off a of marshall and lynch tangent the point i'm trying to make is that it doesn't matter where i rank him because i'm not going to draft him at his adp anyway right right so i, I can bury him super deep because i one i want to be right on the ranking in terms of fantasy pros accuracy like i think he's going to be a huge bust i'm going to rank him accordingly but i also just kind of want to show how little interest i have in drafting him with my rankings because those rankings are they're ultimately an expression of how i like to draft right and mm-hmm. and so this is why i think as a as a player if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to you know, glean some information from us. Don't just take our rankings as gospel. Don't take these numbers and say, oh, well, I have to draft this player ahead of this player because Mike and Greg ranked him higher. Like, go through the rankings yourself and do some mock drafts. Compare to, you know, see what you would do when you're actually on the clock deciding between these players and use that as your guide. Like, use that to create your own rankings and your own methodology for how you compose a team when you're drafting a fantasy fantasy football league. But... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rambling at this point. Yeah. Um, anything it's else? It's a good point, though. It's a really good point, though. I, I think that's a point that not enough people talk about. Some people say, oh, I hate rankings. I don't hate rankings. What I do is hate if people do, like, I don't want you to hold me to them because there is differences in them and the fact that where would I draft them and where would I rank them? Because there's differences. Cause, because Just because someone like Frank Gore, for example, this is a perfect example. Frank Gore finishes the number 12 fantasy running back last year. If you were to go back and you were to re-rank, and let's pretend you know everything that you know about the 2016 season, if you were to go back and rank, would you put Frank Gore as a top 15 running back? I know I wouldn't because I wouldn't rank. I would not draft him as a top 20 running back, knowing what I know. Just because he finishes the number 12 fantasy running back doesn't mean he was the 12th best running back. That makes sense. No, it totally does, because these guys score points in different ways. You have to be mindful of that, and you have to consider the opportunity cost of when you're drafting these guys, because not only are you just trying to get the most points, but you have to get the most points within the framework of your league's roster setup, uh, you know, the benches, uh, how many positions, uh, uh, how many of each position you start how the points are scored like and that's the, that's the real problem with rankings is i can put out rankings for standard scoring and you know standard roster construction but as soon as one thing changes you know that is going to make my rankings a little bit off and then as soon as a draft starts it even if the rankings are really good if the people who are drafting in front of me make a bunch of strange decisions that needs to affect my my drafting process. That needs to make me adjust my rankings on the fly. So they're only ever meant to be a small guide. And like I said, they're really an expression of, you know, the person who put the draft, who put the rankings together, because that's how they draft. That's how they look at the NFL landscape and figure out, okay, if I roughly follow this, at least in the beginning of my draft, I'll be set up to, 
mine value later in the draft based upon you know what I think are the easier positions to to get in those spots. It, it's yeah, it's so hard to talk about this stuff in the abstract. Um, so let's get back to player specific stuff. One more quarterback before we move on. Matthew Stafford. You have him at QB seventeen. I am at QB ten. His production is really consistent. Over the past five years, the difference between his best and worst seasons were only 38.2 total points and 2.39 points per game. Those are the smallest gaps between floor and ceiling among all the quarterbacks to play all five seasons since 2012. That's why I like him. I I like predictability at the quarterback position. Um, I'm hoping the Lions will also be healthier this year, especially Marvin Jones and, you know, Amir Abdullah, theoretic, kind of help him give more receiving ability out of the backfield. But why are you a little bit lower on Stafford? Explain to me your process on why you landed at QB 17. So going back to the the conversations that we had before the 2016 season, one of the conversations we were having is how will Matthew Stafford be as a quarterback without Calvin Johnson? Because we've never really seen it before. So, you know, we at the start of the season, Matthew Stafford looked really good. The first six games, he had four games with three or more touchdowns. Like, he was on fire, and people were talking about him as a legitimate MVP candidate. What people tend, like, what they what they missed out on is that Matthew Stafford, after that point, it was like defenses caught on to what was happening in this offense, and everything went downhill. Over the final ten games, he threw two touchdowns just three times. He threw one or zero the other seven games, which is obviously not a ceiling you would want. You saw his pass attempts come down. His, 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 his total in 2016 and even 2015, for that matter, has started moving down into the 500s, which is not what you want from a quarterback like Matthew Stafford without a Calvin Johnson on his team. Uh, you know, we're talking about it. People are trying to say, is Eric Ebron going to break out? Is Kenny Galladay going to be the guy that takes over Antoine Bolden's red zone targets? This is a real problem. Because Golden Tate has never been a red zone guy. He's not, he's, you know, he's a slot guy. That's, that's what he is. Marvin Jones, he flashed one year. Outside of that, he's been extremely inconsistent. Eric Ebron is still just 24 years old. I, I do like Ebron this year because I think he's going to see more than the six red zone targets that he got last year. But this is a real problem in terms of what this offense can do. It's because they have a bunch of these guys kind of mashed together. But I really don't think that there's any continuity where it's like if you go to Cincinnati, Say we have A.J. Green on the perimeter. We have John Ross to stretch the field. A.J. Green can kind of do everything. We have Tyler Boyd who plays the slots. We have receiving options coming out of that field. Whereas Detroit, it's just a bunch of gadget guys. I feel like they don't have the it guy. And Antoine Bolton was about as close that they can get to that because uh, he was that presence in the red zone. He was sure-handed uh, when they needed him to be. But Matthew Stafford, like I said, as, as the year went on, Matthew Stafford, the efficiency went down the tubes. And someone said to me, well, Mike, it's because he broke a finger on his throwing hand or whatever, but that wasn't until mid to late December. So that wasn't really an excuse for me. I, again, I, I understand like when looking at the numbers throughout the years, it's kind of like Philip Rivers where you see these numbers and you're like, wow, the guy's extremely consistent. It's hard to argue with these numbers, but without Calvin Johnson and after the first, the honeymoon phase where it was just like, okay, this is a new offense without Calvin Johnson, opposing defenses have no film on what to expect from them. Once they caught on to it, I feel like, it changed, and Matthew Stafford was what he was. Now, he did finish as a top-10 quarterback, so it's, it's tough for me to defend that. But at the same time, I still – Kenny Galladay, I'm not going to depend on a rookie to fill this Anton Bolden, Calvin Johnson-type red zone role. So that's where I think Matthew Stafford is lacking. Not necessarily a bad quarterback, just meh is basically where I view him. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. I think all the quarterbacks after, say, the top seven or eight are pretty yeah. meh to me. That's just how it goes. Um, let's, let's get into running backs though. Ty Montgomery, 
you're a little bit lower than I am. We both have him inside the top 20 at running backs. So we both like him to some extent. You have him at 19, I'm at 13. And he's another running back you profiled on Fantasy Pros. Am I subject to too much like PPR-tinted cognitive bias here with my love for Ty Montgomery? How do you see this Green Bay backfield playing out? Well, I'm starting to come around a little bit more on, on Ty Montgomery. You know, we're hearing some good things, but how much can we really trust Mike McCarthy's word? If you recall last season, Mike McCarthy kept telling us, Ty Montgomery is our starting running back going forward. And then Ty Montgomery would go out there and get nine carries. Like, it was just, it was so maddening. There was a game where I, I in my player profile that I wrote up for him, I did like, I think it was like 1,200 words on Ty Montgomery and why I'm a little hesitant to draft him is because there was a game where he went out there and he didn't get any carries, and all of a sudden afterwards, it's like, what the heck just happened? Because DFS guys were, were playing him because he was cheap. And he said that he didn't even know that he was going to be benched for that role, and apparently it was because of the sickle cell thing. But Montgomery didn't even know what was going on. There was just one game last year where he had more than nine carries. And that's, that's a problem, right? Because McCarthy was unwilling to trust him. With that being said, we've had an entire offseason for him to learn the position, and everything, like everything that I've read, and like I've dug so far here because you want the Packers. <laughs> you gotta you, have him if he's yes, there. Yeah. You want the Packers running back, whoever it is, whether it's Jamal Williams, whether it's him, whether it's Aaron Jones. I don't care who it is. You want him. So I've been paying attention to it, reading on everything, and everything points down to one thing and one thing only, and that is can he pass protect? Because pass protection with Aaron Rodgers is a big, big problem. You know, if we go back a couple of years, Aaron Rodgers getting hit so often, it was it was scary. Their offensive line, all of a sudden in 2015, kind of turning around. 2016, they were pretty solid. But they did lose another piece of it. Josh Sitton, obviously, they lost last year. So there, there's question marks. Um, but all I want to do, I don't want to listen to Mike McCarthy. I just want to see him on the field. I want to see him during the preseason. This is one of the things I'm watching this preseason is I want to see Ty Montgomery hang in there in pass protection because so I want to see him block. And if he can block, I'm willing to move him up. The problem, this is the problem. I held a uh, my own expert mock draft last night, and uh, Matt Kelly from Roto Underworld snagged him at the end of the third round. So Ty Montgomery is now getting to the point, even though I'm coming around on him, where does the love stop? <laughs> like, where do we say, okay, this is getting too rich for my blood. You're drafting him at a ceiling. Uh, I just don't know, you know, what, like, I know you're high on Montgomery. What's the highest you'd be willing to draft him? Uh, well, I mean, I'm right there with Matt Kelly. I overspent for him in that auction we were talking about last night. I, I dropped $23 of my $200 budget on him, but that was largely kind of a factor of how I was building my team. And he was the last of a, you know, a running back tier when I didn't have any running backs. So I, I felt the need to spend a little bit more and it was a half point PPR format. So I think that helps, but yeah, I, I just, I don't see a whole lot of difference in terms of risk with Ty Montgomery than, say, someone like Carlos Hyde or Isaiah Crowell. Like, I, I think those guys have a, a firmer stranglehold on, you know, more rushing opportunities, more actual carries, and probably goal line work. But they're also on teams that may not be able to run the ball very much uh, in San Francisco and Cleveland. I, I just, again, I come back to that idea of I want the Green Bay Packers running back. And right now, Montgomery feels like that guy to me. I think that when the two guys behind him on the running back depth chart are Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, you talked about, you know, making sure that people can pass protect rookie QBs often have the hardest time doing that. And they, and just in general, like rookies often struggle to jive with high level quarterbacks and high level, high level offenses like the green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. I'm just skeptical that Williams and Jones can step into a significant role early in the season. And so 
that's where I focus, you know, the bulk of my fantasy drafting is I want to come out of the gates hot. I, Montgomery knows the system. He has additional upside in the passing game because he's a former receiver. Could Jamal Williams establish himself as the goal line guy early in the season? Sure. But, you know, touchdowns are generally hard to predict in the first place. So I'm not really sure I, I want that sort of profile of a, you know, guess and pray he hits type of player on my roster. like, I don't want to be guessing each week whether Jerome Bettis is going to get into the end zone with Jamal Williams. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. And, and one thing I'll add on to that, and the reason that I'm, I'm slowly moving time, I'm going to my boards. He, well, first off, he's the only running back in Green Bay that I think would handle all three duties, uh, all three down duties. Whereas like if Jamal Williams was the one to take down first and second down, I don't think they'd have minutes on third down. I think they may have Aaron Jones there. The, the, the area where I'm liking him more and more is I just did a study, and this article isn't coming out till Wednesday, but I basically went and did, and I looked at every position saying, how much does your team scoring matter for fantasy football? And I'll tell you this, of, top, of the top six running backs over the last five years, so there's a total of 30 of them, 10 of them came from top six scoring offenses. So 33% of the top six running backs over the last five years come from top six scoring NFL offenses. So you know that the Packers are going to be there in the top six scoring offenses. You know that Patriots are going to be there, which is why Mike Gillisley is so attractive to me. You know the Saints are going to be there, which is why Mark Ingram. You know what I mean? So like when you start talking about these offenses, that's why I'm saying you want the Packers running back. It's just if it's Ty Montgomery, yeah. Like if I get – I don't I don't know what it's going to take for me to get like clarity in the fact that he is the three-down back and they're, they're all in with him because of you know what Mike McCarthy has kind of done – to me, uh, in terms of why, <laughs> over and over. He's like the, the anti-Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, like, he will tell you everything that's on his mind. He'll follow through with it. I actually like Pete Carroll as a fantasy analyst, like, because he'll tell us what's actually happening. As Mike McCarthy, I don't know what to say, but like I said, I just want to see the time on the field blocking. And if, if, that, if I'm short up somehow, I have no issues moving time Montgomery into, I mean, I would say that territory with guys like, I mean, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, in that area, because he's on a better offense. So let's talk about those sorts of running backs next. That, you know, Tier, J.H.I., Devonta Freeman, Todd Gurley, DeMarco Murray. I, I don't really know where to draw the tier lines, to be honest. Like, I think that some of these guys kind of creep up into that Tier 2 territory, but it, the lines are blurred, right? And that's what I want to talk to you about. It's, it's a really similar group of players in terms of how we can project them and whatnot. And we don't differ too much in the rankings, but listeners, I think, would be interested to know how we break ties between those players. For me, it really comes down to role or opportunity kind of compared to the quality of the offense, like we've been talking about with Green Bay, and accounting for the general risk in both of those categories. Like, I want more touches if I can get them, and especially if I can get more red zone touches, that's good. So we can consider the pace of the offense, right? We consider, like, that Atlanta might be projected for... 1,200 plays, and the Chargers might also be projected for 1,200 plays at the high end, right, at their ceiling. And so we can somewhat disregard, like, pace if we're choosing between Devonta Freeman and Melvin Gordon. And so if we're doing that, I would rank Gordon a little bit higher because he has a firmer grasp on a workhorse role. He's not competing with someone like Tevin Coleman the way Freeman is. But if you compare those two players to someone like Jay Ajayi, who similarly could be very dominant in terms of carries for the Dolphins, but if the Dolphins only project for, you know, say, 1,100 plays or 1,050 plays, and his offense is led by Ryan Tannehill compared to, you know, Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers, 
that's the case where even though, you know, Ajayi, my profile is a guy who's going to be more carry dominant, I would still rank him behind Devonta Freeman, who might not see quite as many touches because Devonta Freeman's touches are of higher quality, right? So that's one way that I look at it. How do you look at these different players and establish your own rankings between them? Well, you were saying it right, actually. It's like you go through everything. You have to establish what it is that you're scared of, right? With J.H.I., let's go through each one of these players individually. J.H.I., he really has no competition on the roster, right? But he has massive, massive injury concerns. We know his knee is an issue. And the fact that they say it's bone-on-bone, where they said that they will treat him differently than a a running back who has some swelling in his knee. They may shut him down for a few weeks just to ensure that they're locking him up. One, actually, when I started doing my research on him for his player profile, one of the research I came across is NFL teams were legitimately saying about J.H.I. Some removed him off the draft board. Some said, if you get one contract out of him, consider it uh, that you got more than you paid for. Because they they don't expect him to live very long in the NFL, essentially. So that's a really big concern. Devon Freeman, you mentioned it. Tevin Coleman is there. Uh, I, I think he's better than Tevin Coleman. I think we all can agree on that. If we don't, then that's a different conversation. But Kyle Shanahan leaving. This offense having some natural regression to it. And Matt Ryan increasing pass attempts because, you know, that's just going to happen. He threw, like, so little last year. Um, there, there's concerns there. Todd Gurley, he has no competition, like, legitimately zero competition. Like, you can lock him up. If he's going to play all 16 games, you can lock him in for 275 carries, and I would have... Literally no argument to tell you otherwise. That's a big plus because we know it's a workload, right? But he's also playing on a bottom 10 scoring offense. And, you know, that article I was talking about, running backs who play in a bottom 10 offense, they have exactly a 10, uh, a 13% chance to finish as a top 12 running back, which is not very good. Um, so that Todd Gurley's got that going against him. Uh, and then you go to De- DeMarco Murray. Derrick Henry is coming up the ranks. You know, we're projecting the Titans to throw a little bit more. We have a history with Murray. We can say, you know, well, he's had a history of finishing pretty well. We can also look before 2016, right? DeMarco Murray was looked at as someone who was very, very injury-prone. We also saw towards the end of 2016 where he took a dip. He only averaged, it was three and a half yards per carry over the last six weeks. He scored one touchdown in that time. Meanwhile, Derrick Henry was averaging over five yards per carry, scored like three or four touchdowns. So, there is risk with every single one. It's just you have to categorize it. What, what do you want? For me, I usually want safety when I'm talking about that because when you're talking about these guys, you're talking about a first or a second round pick, and you do not want to miss there. Well, my rule is that you cannot win a draft in the first and second round, but you can definitely lose it. So for me, I want a guy with a guaranteed workload, a guy that literally has zero questions about it, and that's why Todd Gurley ultimately moved up my draft board, not because I think he's going to finish as a top eight running back, just because I know his workload is safe and I know what his floor is, which was 2016, where regardless of what people say, he was actually a decent RB2 in terms of volume, like looking at his RB2 performances over the years. So it's just you have to figure out what you want. And for me, I just want as much safety as possible in those first two rounds. Yeah, good stuff. Um, let's move to wide receivers. I want to talk about Brandon Cooks. Uh, you're definitely higher than him than I am. Uh, wide receiver 13 for you, 20 for me. I'm down on him because I think it's going to be really difficult to forecast his big weeks. But for you, that's not really going to matter as much because you have him ranked as an every week starter anyway. So is that how you would use him? Or if not, what would you look for to kind of lead you to bench him for any given game during the season? So this is something that I I think it's a really good conversation to have. And I think you could do a whole podcast on it. The fact that, you know, when people talk about the boomer bust wide receivers and, I mean, how many wide receivers are legitimately 
not boomer bust. Like, yeah. like, 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 talk about it. Like Antonio Brown, maybe AJ Green when he's healthy. Julio Jones even has games. I think there was three games last year where he had less than forty yards, so he had boomer bust. Odell Beckham Jr. to start last year had some games where people were like, maybe he's not the player we thought he was. This and that. T.Y. Hilton's going to have boomer bust weeks. You know what I mean? Like you go through all these wide receivers. Des Bryant last year he busted. Uh, I consider a bust fewer than eight PPR points. And Des Bryant busted in four of his 13 games last year. Like that's that's not good. But moving down to someone like Brandon Cooks, when you when you talk about this and the, the wide receivers that are being taken in this range, you know the Sammy Watkins, the DeAndre Hopkins, the Allen Robinson. There's a lot of guys in here that have a lot of question marks, right? So for me, what I want to look at is I know that they're all going to be boomer bust. They're all going to offer me, you know, you're lucky to get 55 to 60 percent of wide receiver two games out of a wide out of these wide receivers. Me, I want, I, I want the guy I know that's going to be in that range. He, he's definitely going to fit that range. You, you mentioned it, that you're not going to be able to predict those games. But when he does have those games, they're going to be better than 95% of wide receivers because he has Tom Brady thrown in the ball. I don't think Allen Robinson has a 150-yard, two-touchdown game in him this season. DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think he – I honestly have issues putting him in my top 20 wide receivers because the situation is that bad. We mentioned some of these other wide receivers. Demarius Thomas, his ceiling is just not there. So when, when talking about these wide receivers that it's hard to find that consistency with, give me the guy who's going to be with that crew in terms of the amount of wide receiver one, wide receiver two performances, but he's going to give you game-breaking potential because he plays with Tom Brady, and that's why I would do that. Uh, I know Scott Barrett of Pro Football Focus, he did a thing on, uh, on Brandon Cooks in terms of, he said he's cornerback sensitive in terms of speed. Where if he is, if, if he's going to be playing a team that doesn't have a cornerback that can run like a four or five forty or something like that, it's some crazy number that Scott does. <laughs> but uh, he um, basically said if there's a uh, there's no corner on another team that runs a four or five or less, like Brandon Cooks is like an all day DFS play. Some people have tied. They say Brandon Cooks can't play in a cold. If you've seen his splits, he hasn't played in a game below this temperature and this and that. Some of that goes back to Drew Brees, guys, whereas Drew Brees was yeah. not – he's not excellent outdoors, so obviously that's going to trickle down into his wide receivers. So Brandon Cooks, do I think he's a prototypical number one? I do not. Do I think that he's an electric player who's going to see a lot of targets in New England? I do. And I say that because you do not trade a first and third round pick for a guy that you are not going to target. And even going to his, to his Saints days, I mean, we can look at it and see where he finished and see the amount of top performances he had. He did it on 120, roughly 120 targets per year, which is, you know, that's about what, I, what I'm going to project him for in New England. And it's hard to say that going from Drew Brees to Tom Brady is a downgrade. So it's, again, it's just, it's really comes down to preference and understanding that there's a lot more boomer bust than people want to admit. Yeah, it's inherent to the wide receiver position in general. I, I guess when I look at the players you mentioned in that range, the thing that Cooks doesn't have quite as much of that, you know, someone like Allen Robinson or, DeAndre Hopkins or Demarius Thomas does have is that touchdown upside, that kind of red zone scoring ability. But you're right. He can make up for that with just big boom plays, you know, those big, you know, 80 yard bombs and whatnot. And that can carry you as well. So again, we both have him ranked as a a top 20 guy as a, a basically an every week starter anyway, in terms of raw rankings. I just, yeah, I'm down on just, players and offenses where you know they're going to spread it around. And New England is always going to be one of those because they like to keep defenses guessing. That's how they play. Cameron Meredith, uh, you are much lower than him than I am. You have him at wide receiver 53. I'm at 38. When I look at him, I see a potential number one wide receiver on a team that might be throwing a lot due to their bad defense. 
do you see something else, or is that sort of profile of a player just not very appealing to you in the first place? All right, so I'm from Chicago, so I can say this, like, and, you know, I, I tell people that, so, so you can take this as credible. <laughs> people, call me a, people call me a Bears hater sometimes because I'm honest with Bears fans, and I will tell them what's wrong with our team. Um, with that being said, Cameron Meredith is just someone that a lot of people are excited about, and I'm not going to say that it even comes down to talent for me. It comes down to organization and how they plan to use him. So Kevin White is going to be legitimately given every single reason to be thrown the ball. Like, they're going to try and find a way to justify the draft pick they made, whether that be wrong or be right, and in this case, it's wrong. They shouldn't force the ball to him if he's not ready, and apparently Kevin White's dealing with confidence issues. Of course he's going to. This is a guy that was coming out of college that was, he didn't have the full route tree. He was unpolished. It was going to take time to develop him. Now he's missed essentially the first two years of his NFL career. With that being said, Cameron Meredith is a former undrafted player. They have, you know, little to expect from him. I don't think the Bears, I think the Bears would be more upset if we never found out what, I shouldn't say we because not me. Um, Bears fans would be upset if they never found out what Kevin White was rather than stop, than that they would to stop targeting Cameron Meredith. And, Again, this is an organizational thing where they kind of screwed the pooch and drafted Kevin White. With that being said, I am slowly backing away because I had Kevin White ahead of Cameron Meredith because of this. And as the offseason has gone on, we've heard bad things about Kevin White. We've heard that he's lost some of his first, that we don't know if he's going to be the same player he was coming out of college. And Not surprising. Exactly. He's had leg injuries. This is something that doesn't surprise me. He's still not the top of his route tree. He's not getting work in this offense. He's not... Uh, getting work with Mike Glennon, who's going to be a starting quarterback, so because he's missed so much time. So I have, I'm slowly coming around on Meredith. But another issue is the fact that the Bears went out and they, they you know, they signed guys like Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz is going to play. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. He's going to play. You don't sign a veteran like that and not play him. Uh, Kendall Wright, I think he has something in the tank that people don't see. I think Kendall Wright is a, a really, really, really good wide receiver that was just playing on a team that underutilized them, arguably. Um, you know, they brought in Marcus Wheaton, and that's a joke in itself. But, but again, this is a Bears team who obviously wasn't satisfied with their pass-catching options, so they went out and signed three free-agent wide receivers and paid them decent money. So, again, I, this is more an organizational thing, and it's not anything against Cameron Meredith, the player. But I, I, I am slowly moving him up my boards for what it's worth with, with the more negative things that we're hearing about Kevin White. Because, as you know, Greg, if going through the offseason – don't pay attention to the positive things you hear about a lot of players because you're going to hear positive things from everybody. But when you hear coaches talk about a negative thing, that's something that you, you do want to pay attention to and say, I need to take a cop for this. And the Bears coaches have been saying Kevin White isn't quite where he needs to be. Oh, I'm all with you on understanding your favorite team's flaws. Uh, I'm a 49ers fan, so you can you can uh, kind of imagine where I'm at on that sort of thing. I, I'm one of those people who's way lower on Pierre Garcon than a lot of the fantasy industry just because I don't know if that team is is really ready to turn the corner. I, I think the, the signs are there. We're moving in the right direction finally. But anyway, that's a story for a different podcast. Um, I want to talk about Washington next. And you're only slightly lower on Terrell Pryor and Jameson Crowder than me. I'm not going to throw the numbers out because we're, we're too close anyway. But it's interesting to me because we're only one spark only one spot different on Kirk Cousins, and you actually have him ranked one spot higher. Um, and we have, you know, Josh Dotson rated at wide receiver 56, and it's kind of a weird coincidence that we're both in the same spot. Anyway, we don't differ a ton, so this all comes out in the wash when we consider, you know, the positional tiers. 
Due to the personnel turnover there, though, like the fact that these are new receivers instead of, you know, Deshaun Jackson, there's just a lot more unknown in this offense than maybe the fantasy community wants to admit. Our, our rankings reflect a little bit more optimism for me on that front, a little bit less for you. What is your process when you're analyzing new players in new places like this? Because we don't have that context of previous year's stats. So do you have any specific expectations for this offense and how does that, how do you generally approach a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's really tough when it comes to this because he has no safety blanket, essentially. Like, you know, coming in, Terrell Fire, Josh Doxson, those are two of the, the bigger wide receivers that you'd want to cons- consider, uh, I guess, a possession receiver or end zone threats. And if you have no chemistry with those guys, it's going to be difficult for a quarterback to succeed. With that being said, Jamison Crowder is a guy that has played really well in the opportunities that he's been given. Yes. So, you know, when people talk about Terrell Pryor, I, I, I understand the hype, and honestly, seeing him in a uniform and, and understanding his size and speed, like size and speed, and that, that he's learning the wide receiver position, I understand it's something that you would really, really want to get excited about. But again, there's players out there like Chris Conley that we've wanted to get excited about because they're they're metrics freaks, and I get that. Kirk Cousins is a guy that's willing to air the ball out. You know, since 2013, I want to say there's only two quarterbacks that have averaged more yards per attempt than Kirk Cousins, and one's Ben Roethlisberger, the other's Matt Ryan. So, you know, that's a really important stat to me in terms of yards per attempt. I think it's telling when you look at a big sample size. And if you're a projections guy like me, when you sit down and you go through and you're trying to figure out where to divvy up these targets, you have to look at pass production, right, of wide receivers that have played for Kirk Cousins and have played in the offense with Jay Gruden. When you do that, you'll realize that no wide receiver ever sees more than, like, 6.9 targets per game. And when you take that number and put it over 16 games, you realize it's going to be very, very difficult for someone to hit over 120 targets. And that's why I think, like, some people want to save prior because I understand they want to project him for big touchdown numbers. I get it. They want to say that he's that guy. But at the same time, if you have, if you've seen any of the work that Josh Doxson has been doing in training camp, like, again, there's fluff pieces all over the place. You could find it on anybody. You could find something on, I mean, I'm sure you could find something on Matt Jones somewhere. Um, but, <laughs> At the same time, Josh Doxson was a former, he was a number one pick last year. Jay Gruden compared him to A.J. Green after they drafted him. So obviously they're high on him. Jameson Crowder, again, this is a guy that led their team in touchdowns last year. He's a very solid NFL wide receiver. So, you know, I think the ball's going to be spread so much. And we haven't even talked about Jordan Reed or Chris Thompson, you know, catching the ball. So, you know, it's just difficult for me to see the ceiling that people are seeing in Terrell Pryor. But with that being said, there's a lot of smart people, a lot of them, that I that I trust their opinions. I try and, and force myself to think in a different way. Um, telling me that Terrell Pryor could be a wide receiver one in fantasy, but again, I'm just having trouble seeing it in terms of what this offense has produced the last couple of years. Yeah, you, you just took the words right out of my mouth. You you had gone on that long diatribe there, and I was I shouldn't say diatribe. You went on that explanation, and I was I was just waiting, waiting and waiting to talk about. Well, and you're not even talking about Jordan Reed and Chris Thompson, and then you did it. So thanks for doing that. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm totally with you. It's one of those things where I am buying a, a slight to non-existent drop-off based upon my rankings. You know, I think that the Washington offense is going to continue to be good. I think their defense isn't very great, so it's going to drive Cousins to throw a fair amount. But I'm rarely ending up with these players. Like, I don't really get Crowder or Pryor because generally, even though I think these are good fantasy assets, even on, you know, lower volume, like you said someone always likes them a little bit more. I think the hype machine has gone a little bit too far on these guys. Um, so I don't know if they start to slide, maybe if they don't look quite as good in the preseason for some reason, maybe you can pounce, but I I'm with you. I think that maybe 
this offense in general outside of Cousins is a little overvalued because they do spread the ball around so much, just like New England, just like um, the Saints. And we know that Kirk Cousins is not Tom Brady or Drew Brees. So, um, yeah, let's get into tight ends. Uh, We're running a little bit long, so I'll try to pick up the pace here, Mike. I apologize for keeping you so long. Jimmy Graham, you are lower on him than I am, and I wasn't a believer heading into last season. He proved me wrong. Uh, I... I think that he's still Seattle's best red zone threat. Uh, Per pro football reference, he had the same number of targets inside the 20 as Mike Evans did last season. He ranked 20th among all receivers, you know, tight ends, receivers, running backs, in red zone target share uh, per PFR, uh, 22.7%, same as Antonio Brown. I'm, I'm projecting a general improvement for the Seattle Seahawks offense, so I think there's room for him to be better than he was last year. I have him at tight end six. You have him a couple spots lower. Am I overcorrecting based upon last year with Graham? Well, no, I don't. I think there's truth. I think there's a little bit of truth in, in overvaluing, but at the same time, understanding why you were low on him to begin with. So the Seattle offense is another offense that kind of has, they move things around a lot. And what we saw with Graham up until week nine, there were three games that he had with, with 100, 100 yards or more. Actually, even if you look at it, he had four games with 89 or more yards over the first over the first nine weeks of the season, so it was the first eight games that they played, so the bye week in there. Now, after that is when things change, and it's really weird because I, I found the correlation between the two. After that time, from week 10 through week 17, he didn't total any more than 67 yards in a single game. A lot of games were actually 40 or below. So what was the what was the common denominator here? Well, it was when Tyler Lockett came back, and he was actually becoming a more full-time player. Uh, Paul Richardson started seeing a few more snaps as we went down the line. The crazy part about all of this is that week 10 through 17 is when Russell Wilson picked it up and became a better quarterback in fantasy. From weeks 10 through 17, Russell Wilson was the number four quarterback. Before that, he was awful. Russell Wilson was outside the top 12. So when you see this and you're like, wow, well, how is that even possible considering that Jimmy Graham's production went down when Russell Wilson's did? It just comes down to opportunity. There were games where he was seeing four, five, four, two, three targets. And again, when this offense is healthy and moving around, there's so many moving parts. And if Paul Richardson can pass Jermaine Purse on the depth chart, which he really, really he should. Will. No, he will. And, and if Tyler Lockett can come back at 80% of the player he was pre-injury, which I do have concerns about because his injury was, was gruesome for a player that relies so much on agility and speed that I don't know if he can come back the same player. But even if he comes back as 80% of the player, we're talking about three wide receivers who can get it done with Doug Baldwin there. C.J. Procise is coming back to this lineup. Eddie Lacy can catch passes. Thomas Rawls is what he is. Uh, but, again, R- Russell Wilson can run the ball himself. But it's just it's so many moving parts here. It's difficult for me to say I feel comfortable with Graham, considering the way he finished the season, uh, when Russell Wilson was at his best. That's fair. And you're right. There are guys coming back here. I actually am forecasting a big step up for Richardson. I think that he might even be more productive than Lockett this year. But yeah, and it's not like, again, we're not that far apart on him. And we both have him as a tight end one. Um, One area where we are really far apart at the position are the rookie tight ends. Um, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, OJ Howard. You have them all ranked in the tight end 18 to 20 range. So it's not like you're targeting them in drafts necessarily. But we know that tight ends struggle in their first year it's just not very often that one of these guys contributes on a regular basis and you have these rookies ranked ahead of proven producers like cj fedorowitz camera Brayton, and charles clay how do you justify that so it comes down to necessity right now on top of the fact that this tight end class is probably the best that we've seen in a decade 
Uh, they are so good. Like the, the David Njoku reminds me so much of Calvin Johnson in a tight end body. I'm not saying he's going to be Calvin Johnson. Do not take this out of context. But he looks out there like a massive body that is, he's just not supposed to move the way he does with these long strides, long arms, massive hands. Uh, apparently he made a highlight reel catch in, in camp today. But it's really out of necessity for Njoku, right? So once they drafted him, they cut they cut I'm not forgetting to say Gary Barnage. They cut Gary Barnage right away. Uh, so it was just like, okay, we're moving forward with this. So it's either you say that David Njoku is going to finish as a top 18 tight end, or or Seth DeVal is going to be a thing. And I, I remember saying this last year, that Dwayne Allen was going to be a top 12 tight end, or, and if he's not, it's because Jack Doyle became a thing. And nobody wanted to listen about the Jack Doyle thing, including myself, but he actually did become a thing. So if, if David Njoku is not going to do it for you and you're really scared of him, Go with second-year tight end Seth DeVal. He could be a sleeper. Um, so that that it's it's almost out of necessity just because I don't think you're going to bench Njoku for Seth DeVal. Evan Ingram, he's going to an offense. He's not a tight end. <laughs> I don't I don't Fair. I don't pick I don't I I actually I, I think he's like a Jordan Matthews type. That's the kind of player I view him as with a little bit better blocking, obviously, but he's not a tight end. As for OJ Howard, why are you drafting this guy in the first round if you are that high in camera break? You have a lot of holes in your team. You have offensive line problems. Your defense can continue to be built. Your running back situation, I mean, I, if I recall, Dalvin Cook was still on the board. Some people were expecting the Bucks to take him. Why would you draft O.J. Howard if you're not going to use him? He's, he was considered the most pro-ready tight end to come out of college, uh, since I don't even know who. Again, I'm not high on these guys. I'm not saying that I would draft them as top 15 tight ends. But in that 18 to 20 range, there's it, it's basically guys that aren't being drafted anyways. And I just think that they're going to produce a little bit. They may see it 50, 50 to 60 targets, uh, each of them, and produce from there. Uh, I think the one in the best spot is probably Njoku, just because his competition is the lesser of the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned being pro-ready, and we do have to consider that a lot of that has to do with their blocking ability, and that's a lot of what makes O.J. Howard appealing. So. I, I don't know. Like I don't. I don't necessarily see him as the guy they want out there catching passes from the tight end position. And if anything, Brait profiles kind of like Evan Ingram, a guy that they can play out of the slot and, and use in that way. I mean, I talked about red zone target share earlier. Cameron Brait was just behind Greg Olson last year, fifteenth among all receivers, twenty three point five percent. So I don't expect him to repeat that amount now that they have you know Deshaun Jackson, Mike Evans and uh, O.J. Howard in town, but we can see that, you know, they used Braid in the red zone. They could still continue to do that kind of selectively, almost like Antonio Gates get used by the Chargers. I, I don't know. I just, I don't like going, even if these guys are the greatest tight end class of however many years, I just don't necessarily want to bank on anybody coming in in their first year and producing at a high level when I could have a guy like Jason Witten or Charles Clay um, or the guys we I mentioned earlier, Fedorowicz is a guy that I'm drafting a lot. I, I get the argument. I'm just not there with you. I, I'm not really willing to take that leap of faith on any of them. I, I am the type of player who would take Seth DeValve because I don't think that Njoku is going to be ready to play from day one. And that's just how I look at it. I want those, those guys who have proven it or at least been in the league a little bit longer. Now, um, that, that does it for me on tight ends. Are, are there any, but before we actually wrap that up, are there any guys that you are targeting kind of late at the position? Uh, Jack Doyle is someone that I, he's still being taken as like the 13th tight end off the board. Eric Ebron is the, the 14th tight end. And honestly, I almost always get one of those guys uh, later in the draft. I know Delaney Walker has fallen to me as like the 10th tight end yes. off the board a couple times. And, you know, I'm not 
I understand that he's going to lose uh, some of his production in terms of like with the wide receivers, but he's not going to fall off the face of the earth. Uh, he's still going to see 80 plus targets. So I'll take Delaney Walker as a top 10 tight end. Um, but yeah, Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron. I'd say Doyle is the one I end up with most for sure, uh, just because I, I, I think that he's a. I, I think I have him ranked as my number nine tight end, and he's going around number 13 or 14. So I almost always end up with him. Very cool. It's kind of funny to me, actually, that you touched on Ebron and Delaney Walker is because early we were talking about their quarterbacks as guys you weren't quite as high on. But um, yeah. it's all about value, right? You got you find those guys later and, and they're in the spot where you want to draft a tight end. That's why you end up with them. Mike, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, if you want to find Mike's work, um, actually, why don't you tell them where they can find your work, Mike? What, what have you been working on lately? Oh, Jesus. I've been writing an article basically like every day. The player profiles that we were talking about, I've been writing up. It's about anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 words on every player. I think there's been 20 to 25 player profiles I've done that are really, really in-depth. Check them out at fantasypros.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Tanglier NFL. And, uh, yeah, check out the Fantasy Pros podcast. We um, we actually, I'm pretty proud of it. We hit number 10 on iTunes yesterday, uh, which is just it's, That's it's awesome. Phenomenal. Yes, man. I'm, I'm proud of it, and uh, Happy to be on here with you, man. It was, it was fun talking to football, man. Yeah, it always is. And, and congrats on the iTunes ranking, man. That's great. I didn't know that. Um, I always like coming on and talking with you and Bobby, so um, hopefully we can do that again. i got to get him on this podcast, too, at some point. And, and I'll put a link to your player profiles in the show notes for this episode as well. Um, listeners, if you have any questions for the show, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs or by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. Spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Once again, I'm going to remind you and urge you and plead with you to please rate and review the podcast, because if you do one, it helps me. It helps the show. Um, but also, if you screenshot your review and send it to us uh, at that Twitter or at that email account, you'll be entered in for a chance to win a free copy of our 2017 draft guide. And this thing is awesome. Um, I'll announce the next winner of that contest in two weeks. Uh, but again, if you want to just cut to the chase, get the draft guide right now. Go to 2QBs.com. Uh, use the promo code 2QBXP for 10% off. Thanks to Mike. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time on the 2QB experience. We're out of here. Adios. Adios.